0: Hollywood is Rated LGBT Radio starring your host Rob Watson. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio and yes I am your host Rob Watson. Um, Today, we are going into the world of music um, in kind of an exciting way. Um, This week, we did have very sad news, um, and I I have to say, I I personally feel in, in somewhat of a state of mourning over it, and that is the loss of Tina Turner, who meant so much to so many people. Um, and has been wildly referred to uh, this week as the queen of rock and roll. Um, We are going to be talking about other queens of rock and roll, however, and that is the group Stanny, who um, not as well known as Tina Turner, but they were the first all-girl, all-woman group to record an album for a major record label and this was back in the early 70s, Um, they potentially could have been absolutely huge, um, but quite frankly, they hit both a racist and um, misogynistic glass ceiling, um, and that kind of uh, held them back. But their music is awesome, and there's a new uh, documentary out about them that has launched on PBS. So we are going to be talking about that with the director and the filmmaker of that that movie, Bobby Joe Hart, who is waiting in the wings to talk to us. Um, before we get into that, we also are um, premiering. This is the world premiere of a song called "Glistening" that is actually not going to be available until June 2nd. The artist name is Grace Divine. They are launching it specifically for Pride, and uh, we will be playing that on our show as well right at the top here um, and launching that song out. I did want to say a few words about Tina Turner. Um, I wrote an article that is on the uh, both the Los Angeles Blade and the Washington Blade. Um, many people have given very kind feedback based on that article that it really speaks to the heart of what Tina Turner meant to the LGBTQ community. Um, So I did want to read a portion of that to you um, in a form of a eulogy, almost, of um, the the great Tina Turner. Today, upon her passing, everyone around the world is declaring Tina Turner, quote-unquote, an icon. It doesn't fit. There are icons, an atmospheric leak, all of heaven, and then, and only then, sitting above it all is Tina Turner, simply the best. For the non-conforming male personas among us and for the female personas among us, she was our phoenix, rising from the ashes of toxic masculinity, overcoming it and becoming the epitome of the queen, the warrior, the triumphant. She was the diva of rock, not just as in rock and roll, which was true, but as in, rocking your world. When she borrowed Sir Elton's I'm Still Standing, we knew she meant it. It was not just that Tina Turner was a hero, it was that she was a survivor, trailblazer and hero to so many. From women of color who needed to see their strength demonstrated, to people in abusive relationships who needed to see their possibilities illuminated, to beaten gay boys, needed to see the power in standing and fighting she gave hope to them all she showed us how to embody our authentic selves and capture our creativity our innovation and our own truth she said quote sometimes you have to let everything go purge yourself if you're unhappy with anything whatever it is bringing you down get rid of it because you will find that when you are free your true creativity, your true self comes out, unquote. There's a line from, we don't need another hero. So what do you want to do with our lives? We leave only a mark. Will our story shine a light or end in the dark? Give it all or nothing, unquote. She gave us her all, and the mark she left, her story does not just shine like a light. It seared every person, every walk of life she touched. She lived in as any true hero would and has gone out in a fierce blaze of glory. So that's our tribute to Tina Turner. And with that, I do want to welcome to the show the co-host, Brody Levesque. Brody is the editor of the Los Angeles Blade, and the Los Angeles Blade can be found at losangelesblade.com, very original. Um, And with that, uh, let me welcome roadie to the show.
1: Good afternoon, Rob. Good afternoon to um, our audience. And uh, yeah, it's been one of those weeks where it gets a little hairy and it's been a little nuts. Uh, Last week, um, as you know, the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, had canceled an appearance by the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence which is a charitable uh, group in California. They're headquartered in San Francisco, but they also have a Los Angeles chapter They're, They do primarily charity guys and things like that. There had been an uproar uh, because Senator Marco Rubio, of Florida, uh, Ed Donahue from the Catholic league and a few others had registered their displeasure with the Dodgers front office about honoring the sisters at the Dodgers Pride Night, which happens uh, on June 16. The Dodgers said, okay, well, that being the case, we'll just disinvite the sisters, which they did, which produced an absolute uproar, including uh, myself and others. Uh, Long story short, the Dodgers backed off. And on Monday, they apologized to the community writ large. And then they also uh, had made a commitment in a meeting with, um, LGBTQ, uh, basically community leadership, uh, some of our ranking uh, legislators uh, and others that were concerned to do better, and that they're going to make an effort to address this. Um, so that's a good thing. Uh, the other news, of course, that's just kind of been in the headlines and pulling through it all is the ongoing attacks on the trans community. Uh, we did have a victory yesterday in Louisiana, a bill that had gone through the Louisiana House and went into a committee, which is normal routine, uh, that would have banned transgender and gender-affirming health care uh, for minors in Louisiana, uh, was voted down on the committee, so that ends it for the legislative season. So that particular bill to ban health care for trans kids will never see the light of day, at least this legislative session. Conversely, we have had three more states enact trans youth health care bans. Uh, and, of course, Florida Governor DeSantis, who declared his candidacy for the presidency of the United States of the Republican Party yesterday, uh, has made a huge push of his administration and his legislative agenda uh, to basically uh, unring every bill, every right, anything he can do, uh, for the trans community. He just last week signed a bill that would ban trans health care. The, the, the problem is with all these bills and all these pile ons it's also having a negative effect on LGBTQ youth. Um, as you know from the show that we did with the founder and chief executive officer of the Rainbow Youth Project, Lance Preston, last week, um, since we did that show, a 14-year-old, Uh, year nine uh, at a middle school in Manchester, New Hampshire, who had been bullied online, who had been putting up with all sorts of transphobic remarks at school and a bunch of other things going on, decided that he'd had enough. He walked about two miles away from his house. He literally climbed up over a chain-link fence that uh, was supposed to keep people from falling off the silver pass onto the interstate underneath, and he jumped, and, well, the outcome was predictable. So it, these sort of things are having an impact. And the thing of it is that, you know, people don't understand that As we go through these news cycles, it just continues to get worse. Uh, a New York uh, woman was just indicted by a federal grand jury today in Denver for calling up, denver lgbtq area businesses and threatening them you know including i'm going to shoot your bar up and then compared and contrasted that whatever she was going to do would be as bad as the mass shooting at the lgbtq club club q in colorado springs last november so what we're starting to see is an uptick united states department of homeland security issued a memorandum last week And basically, they're calling on law enforcement, both federal, state, and local, to pay attention to LGBTQ pride events because there's chattering and rumblings out there um, of horrible things at the far right. And in that case, there's threatening to do to pride. And this is something that does have to be taken extremely seriously. We've already seen a pattern of violence that has broken out over far right groups, including the Proud Boys protesting drag queen story hours. We have seen... Uh, shouting matches almost fisticuffs in school board meetings in Florida and elsewhere over transgender youth, gender affirming and even pronoun use. We've seen people move to ban books out of libraries. So right now, there is an edge uh, to what's happening within the community, and it very much is having a negative impact. Um, uh, one last thing. Um, I got uh, a telephone call two days ago or a day ago from a friend of mine, uh, who is a management team member at a Target in Savannah, Georgia. And this person called me to let me know that corporate in Minneapolis had sent a memorandum out to move Pride merchandise in southern states um, to the back, either the back room or the back of the store, in you know, inconspicuous places, and then they pulled a whole bunch of pride merchandise nationwide, just pulled it. And it was in response to a grouping of violent confrontations in target retail operations across the South in Georgia, Arkansas. There was an incident uh, in Tennessee. Uh, My friend, the management team member in Savannah, which is essentially a purplish political place, if you will. It's a coastal city. And it's fairly liberal. Um, they would had no problems at the three target locations in Savannah, but not more than probably 100 miles away there was a problem. And we're not talking just people exchanging angry words. We're talking about people ripping down pride displays and hitting each other. And as Lance, I believe, mentioned to you on the show last week, uh, there was a group of right-wingers, um, Karen's on steroids, if you will, That were following around uh, kids, you know, not necessarily queer identified, who were in front of these displays of pride merchandise in these um, Target stores, and it rattled the kids so bad, especially the queer ones, that they they fled, and then that got to Rainbow Youth Project uh, coordinators and crisis intake counselors. So. This is the state of affairs right now, and I think it's really important that people remember as we start to go into Pride Month that the whole thing with Pride is that it is an act of awareness and a visibility, okay, to us as a people. uh, My good friend Karen Oakham, the former editor of the Los Angeles Plays, who essentially handed his paper to me three years ago, pointed out that we've got to get people to understand that we're not an issue. We are a people. We are humans. And the real problem here is that the far right, a small minority of it, has successfully made us into an issue which has stripped us of our humanity so that when these people commit these violent acts or this hate speech or whatever the case is, they don't see us. What they see is an issue. And that's something that needs to be corrected. You know, for a long time it was bad enough the wackos and pulpits and Pentecostal and evangelical churches were, you know, making all sorts of racket. Well, now because of the Internet, everybody's making a racket that doesn't like LGBTQ people. The seriousness of it this year in particular, though, it's gotten violent. So there's kind of a basic news update, if you will, from me.
0: Okay. So, um, and while I agree with you that, it, you know, they're seeing an issue and they aren't seeing people – I think it should be very clear that there is an actual call to action put out, um, and I shared a tweet by Matt Walsh that did exactly this, that is calling for conservatives to make a ruckus, to go in and cause trouble. Um, this is a, a, an aggressive attack on us, on us as people. Um, they do not care about the issues. They care about harming LGBTQ people, and they are doing it intentionally. So, um, you know, we, we do need to educate the people who are being persuaded that it is an issue, but be aware that, you know, these people are feeling riled up. They're feeling empowered by politicians like DeSantis and Trump, and um, they are being aggressive. Um, and I think it's really important for us during Pride to remember that Pride originally was a protest and not a celebration. And I think we're having to go back to that and stand up for ourselves. But pivoting to that on a more positive note, um, I do want to take us over to Glistening by uh, Grace Divine. Um, that is a sh- song that is actually launching June 2nd. We are premiering it here today. So this is the... World premiere of it, um, but it is a, a a comforting call to action um, and uh, a message of inclusivity inclusivity sorry and self acceptance. Um, the lyrics you will hear say, "Don't got to be a woman, don't got to be a man. We just got to keep glistening." So, definitely, it is a time for us to glisten. And also I want to point out that um, this platform that Grace Divine is able to take on is going to be due in part to a legacy set by the um, main focus topic, which is Fanny, which we will be talking about right after this. But first, here is Glistening by Grace Divine. Um, Grace Divine, um, an anthem for the non-binary, definitely, and probably the first that I've ever heard of that. But while you are basking in glistening, which um, I think you should be, um, I want you to go Google another song called When We Need Her by Fanny. And that is another anthem that I think we need right now. It is Women Empowerment. It is Standing Up and Fighting for Yourself. And it is calling on the spirit of all the women who have fought for freedom up till this point in our history. Um, it is featured in a new film uh, it, that is on PBS right now called "Fanny: The Right to Rock." Um, it is an w- incredible documentary, uh, and it is by Bobby Joe Hart, who is our guest. and I would like to welcome Bobby. Joe on to the show right now. Bobby Joe, welcome.
2: Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me
0: today. Oh, uh, thrilled to have you. Um, <laughs> I have to tell you I was absolutely in tears at the end of Fanny the Right to Rock. Um, phenomenal. It it led me to go, you know, run out and download all of Fanny's music. Um, I, I can't believe that I had never heard of them before, which is I don't think I'm alone in that.
2: No. Tell us more uh, about them. I mean, that makes two of us. That makes that makes hundreds or thousands of us, honestly, that hadn't heard of Fanny. I mean, I serendipitously discovered them seven years ago. And so many people that I've met along the way that are, you know, musicians or music lovers or that uh, – are equally surprised that they had not heard of the band. And, and then, like you, suddenly go down, you know, immediately go down to a deep dive into their incredible music. Well, it's, and
0: your film is, is an impetus to do that because it is very intimate. Um, you know, it puts you right in the heart of, of these sisters um, that, that started the group. But I want to before we go into that. I want to go into a little bit background uh, of you. You are, you know, a, a seasoned documentary filmmaker. Um, you know, you've been doing this for twenty five years, um, and you know what what threw you into documentary films. What what in, enthralled you about that particular art form?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, honestly. When I was growing up, I mean, uh, I hadn't thought about it as a career. To be honest, i I started I started college um, studying business for a couple of years in Oregon, and I just. But in high school, I'd taken a lot of photos, and I worked with some of my classmates in Cottage Grove, Oregon, and we we created a senior slideshow to music, and I just loved you know, documenting life as it was happening, but I never thought about it at that time as a career. And so I started, you know, studying business and, you know, was really bored. And so after a couple of years at Southern Oregon University in Ashland, Oregon, they allowed me to create an interdisciplinary degree. So I ended up with a degree of, of international studies. Um, and then, you know, fell in love with a Canadian, ended up moving to Canada and, you know, got a job in communications and, I was it was a job in communications at a college in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and I had to hire a crew to to make a promotional video, you know, for the college. So I hired this woman, and she came with her camera and sound guy. And in between takes of things, uh, you know, of, of of little scenes for the you know promotional video for the college, I started asking her about what she did, and it's, and it's a friend who's still my dear friend today, Terry Winnick. Um, who was a documentary filmmaker. And I said, oh, do you do these pr- promotional videos all the time? She says, no, I, I'm doing this on the side as I'm making my documentary film. And something, it was really, you know, as Oprah would say, I guess, you know, it was an aha moment for me. I just thought, oh my gosh, that, that sounds amazing. I want to do that. And so I, you know, she gave me some advice, and I, I transitioned from that job into being a film publicist, working on the set of feature films and series. And then I just decided, okay, I, I want to be a doc. You know, I want to now transition. So I became an assistant director on documentaries and researcher. And then finally, about twenty-five years ago, had the courage to pitch an idea, and it got funding um, to follow a nurse to Pakistan who was working with young women there uh, who wanted to become nurses in Karachi, Pakistan. And I never stopped since then. I just, you know, it. 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 I realized that. Documentary films is a powerful way to to illuminate untold stories. It's a powerful way to celebrate our shared humanity. Um, storytelling is incredibly powerful. I mean, every song is a story. Every you know, uh, every human has an incredible story. And we and I realized looking back that you know each film the elements that I feel help connect us, you know, to celebrate our shared humanity are these universal elements that connect us, whether it's, you know, we each have dreams or family, uh, we fall in love, we fall out of love, we, you know, uh, we pursue our dreams. Sometimes they they happen the way we envision, sometimes they don't. Um, We, you know, are all would like our unique um, identity to be, embraced and celebrated um, whoever we are, wherever we are. And I just felt always wanting to, I guess for lack of a better word, I just, I love an underdog. I love, you know, illuminating stories that, um, and ways of life and people that I feel could use a, a little, you know, that maybe, you know, the story may be in the dark a bit or, you know, in the shade and just, you know, shining some light on that story to help celebrate um, who they are, um uh, what they have to contribute to our society and to help connect us more. i mean i I like to think that documentary filmmaking has the power to connect us, you know, and and in our shared humanity, as you were mentioning earlier.
0: yeah, it's and i I am in love with storytellers because that's what I do as well, you know, in a whole mm-hmm. different genre and everything else. i I you know, but I'm in awe of the documentary storyteller because there's I have it easy when I tell somebody's story I get information I talk to them I pull stuff together you know I think about it for a while then I can compose it and and write it out the documentary filmmaker is somehow mm-hmm. has to almost seem like they have this psychic know-how <laughs> ahead of time because the story is going to go where the story is going to go and to, to get ahead of that curve so i'm i'm absolutely in awe of what you do um i want to ask you about another aha moment though that has to have happened for you at some point because as you as you pointed out you tell stories of, of marginalized people but you really mm-hmm. are foremost a storyteller of marginalized girls and women and you know obviously you know that there must be some experience where you have felt that personally, but what was the aha moment that that in particular was an area that you wanted to be a champion of?
2: Well, you know, it's honestly, when I started to make films, I didn't, I, it was really instinctive. I would just see a story. I, I, you know, read about this nurse that was going to go to Pakistan and I just thought, wow, that's so amazing. And she happened to be, you know, 55 at the time. And I just thought, wow, that's so brave for her to go to Pakistan and do this. And it was only after, you know, uh, two or three films that I realized that, that I just kept gravitating towards girls and women. And, you know, the reason being, and I know, I mean, I guess it was just instinctive is that, you know, there's many more untold stories of girls and women than there are in boys and men, because it's just, Women culturally around the world, you know, historically haven't had as many opportunities to have their stories um, amplified in society, and that's still the case in so many countries. Um, and so, and being uh, you know a girl, woman myself, I, I was just you know drawn. I guess uh, I have one child, a, a daughter who's now eighteen, and and I'm, I, uh, I would imagine that you know having her. Um, also helped inform my choices as well of just what kind of world I would like her to live in, um, and also just stories. And I, I don't think I was doing this consciously. I think it was maybe more unconscious, um, is of just wanting to elevate stories that would inspire her. Um, and but ultimately, I, I believe it's just I, I you know. I'd like to think i like to try to help give voice to people that may not have as much of an opportunity to have a voice and to share it with as many people as possible, because we all deserve to have our voices heard, you know, and whether it's, you know, a film I did on the women's pro tennis tour about a, you know, a five foot two Indian Sri Lankan tennis player who just beat Venus Williams and was on the tennis tour that nobody knew, but she was rising up the ranks or, um, you know, I mean, the the one film I've done about men happened to be about, you know, a, a drag ballet company, the Ballet de Monte Carlo out of New York, a fabulous, fabulous human beings who I'm still in touch with today. I'm in touch with everyone I've made films with because it's just, it's this journey of trust and um, collaboration and, you know, as you say, you can't really write the script. You can write an intention in a sense of, you know, do a lot of research and listen, and then have an idea of how you think the story might unfold, but you have to be really quick on your feet. Um, and, you know, cause sometimes things just come out of the blue as they did in this film, you know, some health issues that arose out of the blue um, and you have to completely, you know, rethink everything sometimes um, and how to finish the story and how to craft it in a way that it it honors the people you follow. If you don't have an unlimited time to follow people, so, you know, that can be a challenge sometimes when things happen unexpectedly.
0: Yeah, you definitely arrived right in the middle of the story. Um, You mentioned your daughter, and I believe you specifically dedicated the film Fanny to her. Um, what What did you want her to take away from this particular film?
2: Well, my daughter has loved music since she was little. She started in piano, uh, Suzuki piano, and then at eight, wanted to learn acoustic guitar and then started writing songs at 11-ish. And then, you know, um, and sometimes she's a, you know, she was a, she became quite shy about performing um, from, you know, as she became a teenager. And I see a lot of young women, you know, as they grow into their teens and their bodies are changing and they're you know, their confidence starts to go down. I mean, my daughter has played soccer since she was a little girl, like I used to. And, you know, team sports are great confidence builders. And, but I just see a a real common thread of young women. And nowadays, I think it's even more common. um, You know, the social media impact is so much more prevalent than it was when I was growing up. And um, I just think I want her to take away just to be fearless, you know, to not you know, as June Millington, the lead guitarist of Fanny, says in the film, you know, rock and roll is a metaphor. You know, when you fall down, pick yourself back up again. And so I just, you know, I constantly say to my daughter when she's afraid to try something new, afraid to fail, it's just like, hey, do your best, leave the rest, you know. Um, just, you know, you. The, the latest quote I've given her, which is, you know, it's, it's metaphoric with, within the film, too, you know, of that rock and roll metaphor of just, Keep going, keep trying, don't be afraid to you know to go for your dreams, you know, um and as Einstein said, I'm paraphrasing, but you know those who haven't um, those who haven't failed have never tried something new, and mm-hmm. so look what Fanny did. I mean, they definitely were trying something new and going outside the box of you know societal norms of the time. And I'd like to think my daughter would, you know, have the courage to do the same, and and to listen to her own voice, and to to follow that voice, um, especially when she hits roadblocks.
0: Uh, yeah, it's and it it definitely that definitely comes through in the film. Just to position it for our li- listeners, um, Fanny is a group of of women who got together. During the sixties they they had another group uh that they were part of that they had formed in originally um oh. called the um yeah the the yeah and then then they became fanny um the lead singer did have a relationship with David Bowie, who became a huge huge champion of them um like you said they 're the first female rock group ever do a full album with a major label. Um, so, Bobby Joe, you mentioned that you came across them seven years ago. Tell us how you came across them, and what was the bridge to coming across them and, and making the film?
2: Yeah, I mean, they seven years ago I was on a guitar website looking for a new acoustic guitar for my daughter, and it had a section on the website the, the stories so I forgot about looking for the guitar and went on that <laughs> section of the website <laughs> on stories. You understand. You're a storyteller. <laughs> oh, totally. <no> <laughs> uh, you love stories. And so I went down that rabbit hole and then just looking at all these different people holding this guitar and their stories. And I, and up comes this photo of uh, June Millington, this woman with this flaming gray hair, wielding this guitar with this look of like, I can do anything. And I started reading about her and the band Fanny and their background, you know, starting as a spouse, uh, as a, you know, a band in Sacramento, you know, co-founded by some local teenage girls and June and her sister Jean. And then that morphing into, you know, before Fanny, there was even another incarnation that band changed to, you know, wild honey, which isn't mentioned in the film, just because there's so many layers to their story that people started getting confused. So, um, you know, I in the film I only cover like Svelte directly to Fanny, but they did have a, you know an incarnation of Wild Honey um, just before becoming Fanny. But you know, back to your question, I then looked up June Millington and luckily found her um, Institute for the Musical Arts that she co-founded with her partner mm-hmm. Anne um, many, many, many years ago. And you know, Bonnie Raid is on the founding one of the founding board members. You know, who lived in the Fanny Band home in the Hollywood Hills in the, you know, early seventies before, you know, Bonnie was uh, the household name she is today. And, you know, Grammy winner this year for best song of the year. Uh, And so, you know, they, I I got in touch with June and, but I I realized that I wanted to, you know, I wanted to intercut, you know, and also started looking for archives and I was a bit in touch also with the drummer, Alice DeBure, uh, but I was looking for a forward momentum arc. You know, I, I I found some archives, and there was photos, obviously, and, you know, 80 of the archive photos in the film um, were I was able to use through the, the generosity of Linda Wolf, who also appears in the film, because she basically embed herself in their band home in the 70s. And so, I but I didn't want to just focus on the archives. I, I just thought these, you know, uh, just... I wanted to celebrate where they are today. You know, um, growing up as a kid in California and Oregon, my mom was my mom was an activities director at a nursing home for many, many years. And my sisters and I, growing up, we would just go there after school and help hide Easter eggs or dance with patients when they had a live live music. Or and we just hung out at this nursing home, and I, I developed a real deep um, connection and empathy for for people. Um, at that stage in their life and especially you know there were people that didn't have families that visited them etc and that always stayed with me and I always had this deep respect for for elders so seeing Fanny I mean June Millington at the time was in her late 60s um, when I reached out to her you know seven years ago and she just turned 75 and all the bandmates now wow. are in their you know early 70s and just you know, we just did this tour with the film and the band across California, you know, we called the Revivify Tour, which, you know, that word comes from the David Bowie quote that he gave Rolling Stone magazine in their December 99 millennial issue, which was like, you know, asking all these renowned people in the arts, you know, what is your time capsule for the last century? It's our last issue. What should we remember? And his time capsule was, One of the most important bands in American rock has been buried without a trace. Fanny that played like mother effers, blah, 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 blah. And the last line revivify Fanny and I will feel my work is done. So Mm. that's exactly what we just did over the last week or so leading up to the PBS broadcast and streaming was revivify them. There was a sold out crowd at the whiskey a go-go for a 50th anniversary concert at Yerba Buena gardens in San Francisco. And then, just a couple of nights ago when it just started, you know, releasing on PBS, a sold out crowd of like a thousand people at the historic theater in Sacramento. It was a homecoming concert and, um, you know, a homecoming screening and concert and they had the time of their lives. I mean, it was just so beautiful to see that. Um, and so in the development of the film, I that's where I wanted to celebrate where they've come from, how groundbreaking breaking they were and still are, um, but also how amazing their musicianship is and what they have to contribute today in their late sixties, early seventies, mid seventies, and the crowd went crazy um, when they were you know at these live events, and so you know I really feel so honored to have been you know a small part of trying to help revivify the band, and. You know, and that drove the whole approach to the narrative was you know to try to intercut that backstory and the forward momentum of when they basically got you know a new rock record deal that was the catalyst to start the film. It was like, okay, they've got this new rock record deal. I'm gonna follow that process of them making this new album and then boom, them on stage you know and rocking out and um that was the the driving force and you know which was also driven by the fact that I only saw less than eight percent of inductees in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame are women. So I thought, right? Hey, you know, if the Go documentary could come out, and you know, and soon after they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, or the Rumble documentary um, that came out a few years ago celebrating First Nations contributions to rock and roll, and then this year Link Ray, who was highlighted in that film, is now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It. It can be, you know, an advocacy. You know, the film is, 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 a, is an, a music arts documentary, but there's an element of advocacy there too because I feel it, that I would like it to help buoy the band into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and to help up those percentages of women and also women of color. You know, women of color, um, a couple right. of bandmates of Fanny are lesbian, Alice and, and June. And, you know, they're, they have so, they, they represent so much you know, with what they've done and what they're still doing. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, we, in fact, had uh, Belinda Carlisle on on this show um, shortly after the Go-Go's were inducted in, in the Hall of Fame, and she actually reiterated nice. that that documentary of them was what got them attention at that time. Even they were being ignored until that documentary about the Go-Go's came out. So I would love to see your documentary elevate Fanny in the same way, uh, because even though they didn't get the household name ship that the Go-Go's and other inductees get, you know, they were the founders. They were the trailblazers. They did break through. Um, one thing that comes through in the film in a very subtle way is the intersectionality of the barriers they break through. Because obviously, you know, and and probably the most, pointed to and almost brazenly pointed to thing that held them back was being women. And is like, they weren't, they weren't even, nobody was even mm-hmm. apologetic about it or trying to hide that fact. But the thing that they didn't mention that probably was equally a factor was they were women of color. They were, you know, Filipino um, background. And now um, the ageism uh, factor, which they do talk about briefly in the film, they make, you know, one of them makes a joke about how, you know, they sound, you know, if people just listen to the music they're making right now, they wouldn't even know, but if, you know, but, oh, but we have to tour, <laughs> you know, and then they're going to find out we're, we're older, you know, uh, which I love that. I love that. Um, what what did you see and come across in terms of, of specifically like the racism that they probably had to, deal with that was probably not spoken.
2: I mean, the, the racism they spoke about, you know, um, in the film, you know, it often related to just like growing up in, you know, the Sacramento area. Um, and, you know, Bree, who's one of the fanny drummers, you know, and was part of the, the Svelts, their, their high school band um, as well, you know, talked about, just being the only non-white community, you know, family in their community. In um, they, she grew up in Folsom, which is, you know, nearby Sacramento. And, and the same with June and Jean sisters who, you know, were born in the Philippines, you know, to a Filipino mom and a American dad serviceman who was stationed over there and, and then moved with all the siblings when she, they were like 10 and 12 to Sacramento. And, and that's the first time they experienced racism was when they got there, and it was often, you know, just looking differently, et cetera. But within the scope of Fanny and the band, that's the part that is, you know, I see how the record company basically kind of, I don't want to say whitewash them. I'm not sure the, the 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 term that would be appropriate for this, but they didn't even talk about their heritage, you know. And as right. Alice DeBurr says, you know, who's who's gay, said, you know, you could not be in fanny and be a lesbian you couldn't be gay you know it was just like you in so many words it was just you know you say that you have a boyfriend or you say that you're taken you don't talk about it you know you just it's just you know um and and so in in a lot of ways i feel the record company or the you know their publicists and and you know that momentum they lied by omission they admitted the fact that they you know there were lesbian women in the band they they admitted the fact that there were these you know, this cultural heritage that was, you know, uh, and just they they promoted them, you know, unfortunately often very one-dimensional, you know, just look at this, you know, kind of novelty of an all-girl band, you know, and as Gene Millington, the bass player, um, you know, said that, you know, so often they get questions of like, you know, how does it feel to be a girl playing a musical instrument? I mean, it's like saying to you, Rob, like, how does it feel being a man, you know, hosting a radio show? <laughs> you just kind of right, like,
1: right.
2: Uh, I don't know. Like, you know, and so Gene <laughs> says like, how come people didn't do their research? They're self-taught musicians. They write their own songs. They, you know, they're, they have these interesting backgrounds, you know, where they grew up and how they learned music. And, and when I found a lot of the archives, you know, there were some great reviews of their um, performances um in, you know, New York Times and other uh, publications, et cetera, and they were on a lot of major talk shows at, at the time, whether it's Sunny and Scherer's show, Dick Cavett, the BBC, uh, the, you know, Gray Whistle Test, et cetera, but like in the Beat Club in Germany. But they they just somehow couldn't break through because, you know, as Alice DeBure, one of the drummers, says, you know, that they were just, she felt they were just 10 years too early. And, you know, Kathy Valentine um, from the Go-Go's appears in the film and, you know, and said, right. you know, the go released, you know, three albums, you know, initially, and Fanny released five over four years, you know, and just, so, and Kathy said to me on the phone recently, because, well, she, she and Cherie Curry from the Runaways and the Linda Lindas. Um, we had an intergenerational introduction of Fanny at their fiftieth anniversary concert at the Whiskey and they also performed with them on stage at that women's anthem, you know, when we need her that you're you're so kindly highlighting sure. today. And um but Kathy said on the phone recently, you know, Bobby, I realize we had the visibility that Fanny didn't. You know, there was the, it was MTV, there was just, you know, a lot more openness and you know as david bowie's lead guitarist earl slick says in the film it's always the ones that start it that get effed you know that that you know you it's like you think about sister rosetta tharp who's now in the rock and roll hall of fame you no know, decades and decades and decades later after she you know, she's the queen of rock and roll you know i mean so is tina turner and fanny are queens of rock and roll as well but sister rosetta tharp you know way way back in the day before elvis she was she was setting the stage she was you know creating that base of rock and roll and elvis you know was so inspired by her and she she even you know you you see her you know uh you know the character of her played in that you know the recent film on elvis and but it took decades and decades for her to be recognized in the rock and roll hall of fame and still so many people don't realize that she you know she created rock and roll like way before Elvis came along and others. And, um, and so it's, it's, it just, it takes time, you know, but Fanny, I feel, you know, like the Go-Go's documentary, like Belinda Carlisle said to you, you know, that the, the film and that exposure, and that visibility, really it's visibility. If people, you know, and it's also where, where the public, you know, the, what is the public ready for, too? You know, whether you can get a band, enough airplay on the radio. Is the public ready for women, a, a male, you know, an all-female rock band that are, you know, shouting loud and proud, you know, and, and rocking out on stage? Um, I, You know, some of the bandmates, you know, also felt that like yeah. once you know, after 10 minutes when everybody realized they were actually playing their own instruments, then they, everybody just kind of forgot about it and just got, started rocking out. But I think that was a combination, you know, of just society not quite ready. But but the, the fact that
0: people didn't also, know about Sister Rosetta
2: Thorpe, they don't know about Fanny. But once right. they do,
0: right. you
2: know, then it's not too late to recognize them. I guess that's what I'm trying right. to,
0: you know, communicate. No, yeah, no, totally. I, the thing is that it's a, kind of like a chicken and the egg scenario, though, because it's <laughs> it, what you said about visibility is absolutely true. But then it's like, okay, you know, but the public has to be ready to accept it, and it's like, but the public can't accept something that's invisible, you know. And so you, you have that rock in a hard place, which you know is, it, it, and that's what is to me the bottom line with these women, um, you know, the the mm-hmm. um, women behind Fanny, uh, even Tina Turner and, um, you know, definitely the, the people who came before is, you know, they had the courage to walk out there when, you know, people like them weren't visible before and just to do it. And they had to be, they had to start creating that visibility before people became used to them. And that is kind of the irony is that by the time they get used to them or that that initial thing has been broken through, then somebody walks in and they suddenly benefit from that recognition that, Mm -hmm. Oh, they're not the first, you know, we, we've seen them before. And I think, you know, in a, in bigger Mm -hmm. thing of what we were talking about at the top of the show, you know, I think that's one of the issues with trans visibility is it's, it's um, you know, we have people who are trans and becoming visible and shocking people but there's going to point come a point where people are going to come out and be trans that that's all the public are going to know and the public is is going to just accept them but we're not quite there yet on that particular arc um no
2: exactly and it well and it normalizes it the more that that, the, the the people like in the trans community that are you know that are speaking out and, and, and walking proud with their identity. I mean, they're laying the groundwork as scary as it is for, you know, people that are laying a groundwork and uh, normalizing for lack of a better word, you know, an identity or a way of life or um, often get the most, have the most challenge, you know? And so just, that's also why I titled the film Fanny the Right to Rock, you know, just as women had fought, for the right to vote even women being trampled by horses in england you know we're we're running out into a racetrack to try to raise awareness that women didn't have the right to vote like literally losing their lives over this battle um you know and people in the trans community as you were saying earlier in the show literally losing their lives um over this struggle you know which is just heartbreaking um it's that's why it's so important for all of us to look back in history and her story and to really appreciate those who sacrificed so much to help us have the freedoms that we afford today and will we, we'll in the future yeah. for those in the trans community that are fighting for, you know, awareness and equal rights, um, that the groundwork they're laying for um, future generations of, of, of those in our society in the trans community.
0: Yeah, and one thing I want to point out to our listeners, um, just pivoting a little bit on the film itself, um, what we've talked about in terms of the sisters and you know the the rock group that they founded and was um, finding success with some struggles and everything else, and then their comeback and they're heading towards this great comeback. And I don't want to give the spoiler, but something <laughs> does happen in the film, and you have to watch the film. Because it is both heartbreaking and the 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 comeback from that is actually very inspiring. But I'm going to leave that part to your mystery because you have to go see it. But um, uh, <laughs> Bobby, Bobby Joe, if you could give us some of the housekeeping, where did they watch the film and where did they find out more about it? Your listeners. Yes.
2: Yes. Well is as you mentioned earlier like the film just premiered um, nationwide on PBS uh, across the country on mm, let's see it was on Monday and it's streaming now on PBS so if you have a you know check your local PBS station you should be able to stream it um, across the USA um, there are our US distributor is film movement and if you go to their website there's ways to you know buy a DVD and there's 50 50 minutes of extras, uh, extra footage in that uh, DVD, which is, you know, those little babies, those scenes or those moments that you had to cut, you know, that I had to cut because it just, you know, you don't, you can only do so much in 90 minutes. Um, so the DVD is really worth getting, um, and it does play in your Blu-ray machine, <laughs> and So those are, I think, the best ways. I mean, it just aired a couple weeks ago on BBC4 in the UK. Um, But, I mean, it's streaming now on on PBS, so I think that's the best way to to see it right now. Um, And, you know, this tour we just did with Fanny leading up to the PBS broadcast, I mean, seeing them perform live, you know, after everything that you see in the film, which we're not going to give spoilers, but, like, literally having them on stage and touring together and driving... You know, uh, it was just an amazing experience. And there's a lot of momentum that's happened since then of interest for new music coming out and other uh, live performances uh, potentially. I mean, at the Whiskey A Go-Go, one of the heads of, you know, Austin City Limits venue in Austin, iconic music venue, they're interested in potentially like the film and the band and there's all other places as well. So who knows? I mean, literally there could be, you know more touring to come so you know i encourage people to watch the film and you know when you're inspired by the band you know you can stream their music you can buy albums there's a fanny rocks uh, website that has like you know a lot of their cds and and um, there's also blue Alon records who produced the latest album fanny walk the earth um, and so you can buy you know cds and and i believe they're having new lps that'll be I think it's sold out but they're getting new ones made Um, and so through the Fanny Rocks website and through the Blue Alon etc and through watching the film on PBS you know you can you can have a lot of exposure to this groundbreaking band and there's also a Facebook page if you're interested to help buoy them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame it's it's literally a Facebook group called induct Fanny into the rock and roll hall of fame and join the group, Fantastic. you know, help elevate them. Um, and, you know, we can, we can do it together, you know, cause they deserve it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and just a point, because, because I went through this path, if you're looking for their latest album, Google Fanny Walk the earth. Cause if you Google just exactly. Fanny, you get, you get her older stuff, but, And Fannie Walks the Earth is definitely worth it, it, you know, on its own. So, um, Bobby Joe, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I want to thank you for who you are and what you do. Such a valuable, valuable contribution, um, you know, on its own. But I want to thank you specifically for joining us today. We are completely out of time. So I I really am, am thrilled for you on this project. Can't wait to see what's next. Um, Because you're you're so proficient, I'm sure there are more things to come and um, certainly more things that need to be made for um, the the marginalized feminine around us, girls, women, and and feminine people. Um, And unfortunately, that is it for us for today. Don't forget the Los Angeles Blade magazine at losangelesblade.com. Thank you to Brody Levesque for his um, help on this show and co-hosting and as editor of the Los Angeles Blade. And that's it for this week. We will be back again next week with another exciting show. And um, until then, be good, be happy, and um, be prideful. We'll see you then.
1: You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.